This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. If you'll take your Bibles and have them, have them handy, we're going to look at some various passages tonight. Uh, we are in a series that I believe is important because it helps to define uh, some of the mysteries of church history, things that shouldn't be mysteries to us, but we need to understand and then help. Uh, these things, I believe, will help to uh, cement in our own minds why we believe the way we do. I want to start out with just a couple thoughts this evening. Remember that God gave us his words to reveal himself. There are many mysteries that the Bible talks about, but they are no longer mysteries because God has revealed them through his word. And for newborn babes, they desire the sincere what of the word? Milk. All right. God did not intend for the Bible to be complicated. In fact, he intended for it to be easy to understand and to be taken in as milk. Now, obviously, the more we study, uh, the more we understand, and there are parts of the Scripture that take us from the milk to the meat. But remember, the Lord said, unless you come with the faith of a what, you can't get into heaven. Child, well, what do we place our faith in? The truth of God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so you should always be suspicious of teaching that complicates the Bible. But you know, Satan likes to complicate the Bible. And we also have to remember that the heart is deceitful, the mind of man can go in a direction uh, that it should not unless it is controlled by the Spirit of God. And so I would remind us that with the Bible, it is spiritually discerned. This is the mind of God to the mind of man, but we have to have the Spirit's enablement to be able to receive it, to be able to understand it. Through church history, there have been systems of theology then that have arisen, uh, partly because, again, of apostasy and, and religious systems that added to the scripture and, and, and created darkness. In fact, we look back, and I've shared this with you, a thousand years of, quote, church history, uh, and historians as well as the church today call it the Dark Ages, and the church was in charge. But it wasn't the church of Jesus Christ, understand. Right? And then when the Reformation dawned and people started to read the Word of God, not in light of the traditions of the church, but reading the Word of God for what the Word said, the light dawned again. Now, during that time, there was a system of theology that rose out of that, and it came from the Reformers, 
uh, or those who were the disciples of the Reformers, and we know it as covenant theology. But covenant theology, I would submit to you, some of it, not all of it, but some of it has gone in a direction where once again, Scripture's allegorized, tradition is brought in, and so even those who know Christ as Savior, who believe that a person is saved by grace through faith alone, even in some of their denominations and in those churches, they are willing to believe things and do things that you don't find in the Bible. And again, it brings confusion, uh, and ultimately where the light doesn't shine, darkness comes back in, and folks are not helped spiritually. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at three fatal flaws of covenant theology. And uh, just by way of review, uh, we asked the question, uh, why is this a cyclical problem in churches and in our schools of higher uh, learning when it comes to covenant theology? And I mentioned at that time that those who espouse this theological system are aggressively promoting it. And I gave you some examples about that. And if you're just joining us tonight, if you've not been part of this series, uh, hold on. I believe that this will start to make uh, some sense to you. Uh, a second reason I believe the problem is upon us, that many pulpits and in churches and colleges have not taught the whole counsel of God or have remained silent on the reform covenant theology issue and uh, and that's not helpful either uh, I was sharing with someone recently uh, I don't know if you know the original purpose of the secret service how many of you know the original purpose of the secret service all right it was not to guard presidents the reason the Secret Service was started was to stop counterfeiting of currency. How many of you knew that? All right, a few of you did. I knew that because I did my senior term paper on it in high school. All right. <clears throat> anyway, when they're teaching a Secret Service agent to be able to identify what is counterfeit, they don't bring in a thousand examples of what's counterfeit and have them study a thousand examples. What do they do? You already know this. They bring in the what's real. They have them study what is real so that they can pick out what is counterfeit. And the same principle applies when you know your Bible. When you understand what God has said in his word, then you can listen to a podcast, a radio preacher, a Sunday school teacher, and something is said, and it's like, hmm, not so sure about that. You get out your Bible and start searching. No, that's not quite right. But you have to know what God says to be able to identify the other. Okay? And so it's important that churches and pastors teach the whole counsel of God. And so we looked at the first fatal flaw of covenant theology last time. Covenant theology chooses to ignore the realities of church history. Covenant theologians will be critical of dispensationalists 
And, and we are dispensational. We believe that in different dispensations, the Bible word, you'll see administrations. God interacted with people, dealt with people based on the amount of revelation that they had. And so I consider myself a dispensationalist. And, uh, and I hope that as, as we continue through this series, you'll understand that if you believe that God has continued to give us revelation, the, the revelation is closed, the Bible is done, the canon is complete, that, that uh, God deals with people differently based on how much uh, they have. Now, having said that, it still is true that a person is saved one way. That is in, through faith, the Old Testament was looking ahead to God's promised Messiah. New Testament, uh, repentance was always part of the first part. Then the second part was looking to God uh, for salvation through his promised Messiah. All right. But, but what they will say, covenant theologians, is what you believe is new. And I've tried to help us understand that no, in reality... Uh, covenant theology came about in the 15 and 1600s. So, uh, in light of church history, it is new as well. All right. And again, more of what we'll study tonight. I hope will will bring these things into focus for us. Uh, the second uh, fatal flaw of covenant theology is that it refuses to interpret all Scripture literally. Let me say that again. Second fatal flaw is that it refuses to interpret all Scripture literally. Now, some Scripture they do interpret literally. And that's what can draw you in. But we're to interpret all Scripture literally. So as dispensationalists, we believe in a single hermeneutic, or, a, or there's only one way to interpret the Bible. We hold that there is only one legitimate uh, way to interpret scripture and that is a historical grammatical method of literal interpretation I remind those in our new member class that this is the regular way the normal way that we communicate with each other all right, the first time I met Josh Wagar, he said, hi, I'm Josh. I didn't say, hmm, now I wonder what he really means by that. If you go into a store, you ladies go to the grocery store, and right above the vegetables, it, it tells you how much per pound. Or you, you don't step back and go, hmm, I wonder what they really mean by that. When you read the newspaper, you know, this, this team beat the Cowboys again, all right? You, you, oh, Brian, I am, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. But, but you don't go, huh, oh, there's got to be, uh, there's got to be some hidden meaning here. No, no. You know it's true. No, no, I. We don't do that in any other area, but listen to me, when it comes to the Bible, people do that. Have you ever talked to somebody and they say, well, that is your interpretation? What? 
And the reason they do that is because all these different religions or these different denominations, they, they, they see things differently so you really can't know, ah, I'm not responsible. No, we're responsible. Thus saith the Lord. No, we're responsible. But, but, but see, we, we do that with the Bible. We don't, uh, yeah. try this in, the, in your college classroom. Those of you that are students, you know, the professors teach you something and you, you say something else on your exam and, and he says, no, I, I told you what this, and no, that was your interpretation. Okay. It gets ridiculous, right? But that's what allegory does. We believe in this single, simple hermeneutic. So it has two parts. First of all, verbal inspiration. Every word of God is God breathed. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. What's that mean? That put their trust in what he has spoken. Shield. Okay? Shield of faith. So, every word of God is pure. And then we believe not just every word, but those words together. That is reliable, inerrant, accurate. That's plenary inspiration. Scripture as a whole is God-breathed. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, which, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. This is an amazing book. This is a miracle book. I can see something here, and I can know that in all the rest of it, there is complete agreement. No contradiction. Plenary. Now, upon this single literal method of interpretation, here's what we have to remember. And I've given this all to you together. First of all, based on this, we exegete. All right? We ask the question, what does it say? What does the Bible say? What does that passage say? Now be careful, not what does it say to me. What did God say? And then from that we form our biblical theology. What does it say? And then what does it mean? Then we form our systematic theology. And this is, this is what is so exciting. I, get, I have been called, I have the privilege of being able to preach this amazing book. But our theology, what doctrines does the Bible teach? So when I compare these things, what doctrines then come to light? I see what the Bible says, I see what it means. What doctrines come to light? Let's, let's take, for instance, the doctrine of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. And as I work through the scripture, I see that, that salvation is by faith alone. 
I see that salvation is in Christ alone. I see that in that doctrine, the Lord draws everyone. He said, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. I see as I study scripture that my good works can't save me, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And so this doctrine of soteriology. And oh, by the way, it also says that if I will receive Christ, I can't lose my salvation. That, that's all from that doctrine. So we call that systematic theology. What the Bible says about God, what it says about salvation, what it says about man, what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, and so on. And then we form our practical thought theology. So based on the systematic theology, what God says, we form our practical theology, and what is that? What should I do? So going back to soteriology, here's what the Bible says about salvation. What should I do? Be saved. Receive Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right. And that all comes from a literal method of interpretation. So I develop what I believe, and I do it in that order that I've given to you. Now how, or let me say this, do you, did you know we are criticized for this method of interpretation? You, you are criticized. If you think this way, you're not smart enough to think any other way. I'll give you an example. Oswald Alice, a uh, number of years ago, in his book Prophecy in the Church, said this, quote, Caring to an almost unprecedented extreme is that literalism, which is characteristic of millenarianism. Now, that almost sounds like a disease. Uh, millenarianism is when the Bible says Jesus will reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years it means a thousand years he goes on they insist that Israel must mean Israel and that the kingdom promises in the Old Testament concerning Israel are to be fulfilled to Israel literally Now, you laugh because you have had good, solid Bible training. But not everybody thinks that way. Covenant theology, rather than using a single hermeneutic, has a double hermeneutic. Sometimes they'll use the historical gra grammatical method for uh, many passages but also the allegorical or spiritualizing method for a number of prophetic passages, especially the ones related to Christ's second coming. Again, we can go back to history and watch how this is played out. Listen carefully. The early church knew that Jesus said in Revelation 20:20, 20, 20, I come quickly. Now, what do you think he meant? Very good, I come quickly. 
This was God who is not restricted by time talking to humans who live in time. So a hundred years later in the church, they were debating if it was literal or not because Jesus hadn't come back. Now if you understand all that the scripture teaches about our eternal God, a day with the Lord is as what? A thousand years. He inhabits eternity. He sees it all at once. It's hard for those of us who live in time to even understand that. Now, the older you get, the more, the more you realize, you know, time flies, right? All right. But for God, it's not been that long since, he, since Jesus ascended to heaven. Okay? So we need to be patient. But if, if you start thinking that with your mind you can figure out God and his timing, then you'll get frustrated because he hasn't come back yet. And it, it may not be literal. At the same time, uh, the premillennial beliefs of some led them to teach that Christ would come and crush Rome, which led to greater persecution. I mean, the Caesar has to be the Antichrist. Not long ago, there was a Second World War. I tell you what, there was a whole lot about Adolf Hitler that looked like the Antichrist. Got news for you, Jesus hasn't come back yet. Right? Also, there was strong anti-Semitic feelings in the Eastern Church as tradition uh, came in and they started to allegorize. And the thought of Christ gathering Israel back to the promised land, well, that wasn't popular. And then enter the... Uh, teachers in the church, well-known uh, men like Oregion. Uh, then in Alexandria, the theology began to change, allegorizing, spiritualizing the scriptures. And really, theologically, things went off the tracks. So when we talk about allegorizing, looking for hidden meaning in things, let me just give you an example this is from a Regian who uh, lived, uh, his, his years were 185 to 254, okay? Here's, here's what he taught. He allegorized in his preaching that Noah's Ark pictured the church and that Noah represented Christ. The ark is a picture of salvation. Everyone can enter in, right? But who closed the door to the ark? God did. Not Noah. This is a problem. He, he also taught Rebecca's drawing water at the well for Abraham's servant must, uh, means that we must daily come to the scriptures to meet Christ. In Jesus' triumphal entry, the donkey represented the Old Testament. Its cult depicted the New Testament. And the two apostles pictured the moral and mystic senses of Scripture. Huh? No. Uh, Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem. Okay, but, but th this is what started to happen, and it got much worse. 
Now, let me just share with you when the light began to dawn, what we call the Reformation. When God turned the light on, then the Reformers started to turn back to a literal interpretation and they recognized allegorization for what it was and that ultimately it had led to the error that was Rome. I want to just read for you what Martin Luther said. He said, when I was a monk, I was an expert in allegories. I allegorized everything. But after lecturing on the epistle to the Romans, I came to have knowledge of Christ. He was studying Romans and came to the Lord. Got saved. He said, for therein I saw that Christ is no allegory, and I learned to know Christ for who he is. Luther denounced the allegorical approach to the scriptures in strong words. Quote, allegories are empty speculations and as it were the scum of holy scripture. <laughs> he went on, Eregian's allegories are not worth so much dirt. Hmm. To allegorize is to juggle the scripture. Allegorizing may degenerate into a mere monkey game. Allegory, allegories are awkward, absurd, intensive, uh, obsolete, loose rags. And I'll stop there. Okay? Because he understood it led to the darkness and my lostness, lostness before I started to see the scripture for way, the way God wanted me to. And he brought me to salvation. Now, all this led to the rejection, this allegorization of premillennialism, Christ's imminent return. Later, when Augustine began to explain away the literal return of Christ, amillennialism was born. Other issues surfaced because of the wrong interpretation of Scripture, including infant baptism and other modes of baptism other than immersion. Well, how, how do you get there? You don't interpret Scripture properly. And the result is darkness, confusion, and ultimately man's thinking rising to the place of what God has said and, and both uh, being looked at equally. So we're going to have to stop there this evening. We're, next time we're together, we'll look at the third fatal flaw, and then we'll be done. But covenant theology relies excessively on human logic. Okay, That's the other flaw, and we're going to take time to expand on that, where uh, what I think the Bible says is what I think people should follow. No. Let God be true and every man a... Yeah. We need to know what he says. Would you stand with me? Thank you for listening so well tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can look back in history and see what happens when we don't interpret your word properly, the way you intended, where we stop seeking out 
what you said. And uh, we exchange what you have said for the doctrines of men. Protect us from that. And Lord, help us to take the simple gospel to those who are without you, those who need to be saved. Lord, use it in our lives to continue to grow us, to be like you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.